Old Testament to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 29, or you can look on the back of your sermon outline where I have a, a number of these texts and you'll want to follow along. It's a long chapter, and for many of you, a familiar chapter, because you'll recall that several years ago, we spent an entire week during our week of prayer uh, studying this chapter, but I wanted to come back to it today. Whenever I invite the Lord to do real serious business with my soul, I find myself drawn to this chapter. And so, in Second Chronicles 29, 1 through 6, actually, then 15 and 16, 22 to 24, 29 through 30, you will see them written on the back of your sermon outline. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now. And consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. And let me just add verse 6 here. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken Him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Now, picking up in verse 15. When they had assembled their brothers and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean that they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley, down to verse 22. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Next, they slaughtered the rams and sprinkled their blood on the altar. Then they slaughtered the lambs and sprinkled their blood on the altar. The goats for the sin offering were brought before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests then slaughtered the ghosts and presented their blood on the altar for a sin offering to atone for all Israel. Verse 29. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshipped. So far the reading of God's Word. Well, this has been quite a week across America 
as hackers broke into the Ashley Madison Would You Like to Commit Adultery website and downloaded millions of names and published them, all the subscribers on the web. What a week! Millions of names. What would you say to someone whose name was exposed on the website, on the list? So interesting. Millions of people now facing the heartbreaking reality that they're hidden behind closed doors, intention and to sin and actual sin has now been exposed. The door to their life has been opened. What would you say? A family member, a colleague at work, someone in the church. What would you say to them? I would say, wow, a hidden pattern of sin in your life has been exposed And now God wants to clean you up. That's what I would say. And I might turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and say, I think this is a picture for us of how God does business for the deep defilements of our hearts that are discovered. The temple of the Lord was beautiful. Solomon built this gorgeous temple in 960 B.C. And it was 180 feet long and 90 feet wide and 50 feet high. And the sweet, holy worship of God takes place in the temple. And I don't need to remind you of the many times we've said the Old Testament glorious temple, the temple of the... Old Testament foreshadows what? It is a picture of the church, of Jesus Christ, a temple of living stones, and even more, it is a temple that foreshadows every Christian, because the Apostle Paul says what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we think of the Old Testament temple, I just want to remind you, every Christian is now the fulfillment of that temple. And around 716 B.C., something terrible has been discovered about the temple of the Lord. It has been defiled. That's what verse 6 was all about. The doors have been shut. Attention to God has ceased But there's a new king in town, and following generations of wickedness, Hezekiah is on the scene, and he's one of the good guys, and he says, we've got to clean this up. We've got to start over and make this place holy again. 
Now, friends, all summer we have together been exploring, haven't we? We've been exploring what it means to encounter Jesus Christ in personal worship and just the beauty of spending time with Him and worshiping Him and lifting the lid on our hearts and letting Him into our lives in new and fresh ways. But today we're going to talk about that wonderful and terrible, that sweet and yet extremely painful encounter that leads us to confess, repent, and turn from the sins that are deep in our souls, okay? So, this Sunday is about something wonderful and terrible, that the encounter with Jesus Christ leads us to confess our sins and to get rid of them through His work. And the first thing you see, number one, point number one, is the priority that change is in the life of Hezekiah. You see this there in verse 3 and in verse 17. I like this. It says, on the first day of the first month of his reign, Hezekiah doesn't wait around. He says, there's something wrong and we need to address it. We need to address it right away. Okay? Do you you catch that in the text? There is a sense of priority that is beautiful. The temple was not as it should have been. Oh, 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 on the outside, the temple looked good. But he doesn't come with a fresh coat of paint. He doesn't just trim the shrubs, you know, with the hedge trimmer. He realizes that there has to be holiness deep inside the temple. We've got to address it. Israel, here's what happened. Israel has become comfortable with their sin. <laughs> like the frog in the kettle, they've just become comfortable with patterns that are displeasing to God. But Hezekiah, he says, right away, we've got to deal with it. And, and what I learned from this is that I need regularly to make it a priority in my life to lift the lid on my soul and say, Lord, where is there unhealthy, unholy, unloving dynamic in my life that you want to put your finger on and change? Okay? That's just point number one. In the New Testament, Peter says... In 1 Peter 1, therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, listen to this, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also Be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy as I am holy. Do you know that verse? It's all through the Old Testament. Israel was not doing this until Hezekiah comes along. And Hezekiah is a picture of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit coming to say, Now, today is the day I'm going to do business with you. Okay? So that's point one, the priority Point number two is he begins where he needs to begin. What does it say in verse 3? 
He starts with the doors. And the chronicler makes it very clear. The first thing he's got to do is open and repair the doors of the temple. And I remember hearing a talk by David Ravenhill to a men's group. He was an old, he's an old preacher. And Ravenhill says that um, the temple of the Lord is like us. We are the temple of the Lord. And the doors, he says, every human being has doors to their soul, right? And Ravenhill went after the men. And he said, what are the doors to your soul? He said, the eyes and the ears. The doors, the mouth. The doors are those things that welcome entrance and also prevent access to the soul. You know, today after church, you're going to go home and you'll go into your home through the door. Then tonight, before you go to bed, perhaps, you will lock the door in order to prevent access into your home. All right? And what Hezekiah is saying is we need to open the doors again, go in, see what's really going on. Has anybody ever seen one of those old shows called Hoarders? Hoarders? This is terrible shows. You know, they they bring the camera in. People who have just lived in refuse and filth for many years, and they just got used to it. They just got used to it. Trash everywhere. You might say, oh, how could you live like this? But they've become accustomed to living like this. And nobody knew because, well, nobody came inside the doors. Open the doors today. All of us have become comfortable with living behind closed doors so people don't see the secrets, the secret sins of our hearts. And Hezekiah, he says to the Levites, okay, guys, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to consecrate ourselves, and then we're going in on a discovery mission to see the filth that is in there. David Ravenhill, he said to the men in that conference, he said, the devil does not want you to open the doors. The enemy of your soul wants you to just say, everything's okay, let's not bother. What does it mean to open the door? It means to face up with what's going inside. What are you letting into your soul? What's coming out of your soul? Do you let the good stuff in? Do you take the bad stuff out? Deal with the doors. Hezekiah did. And look what happens. This is point number three. Point number three. You are to get rid of all uncleanness. And this is a startling and sobering um, movement But I want you to think about what's going on here in 2 Chronicles 29. He says in verse 5, get rid of all defilement. It's very interesting. Three weeks ago, 
Remember, we're installing a new furnace in the basement of the church office next door. We're going to get air conditioning. We got air conditioning in the church office. And they brought in a new gas boiler to get rid of the old 1950s boiler that's been in the basement there. But in the middle of the work, all of a sudden, uh, the plumbing company came upstairs and he knocked on my door and he says, we're out of here. We're done. I I, I said, what? Why? He said, we are ready to cut the old pipes, and we have discovered they are wrapped in asbestos right next door. And he said, we don't touch those pipes. Now, asbestos is a problem, and there are some kinds, you know, sometimes shingles. I'm not worried about asbestos shingles, but this kind of asbestos is frayable. That is, it's just a packing of loose particulate matter wrapped in a, in a kind of cloth. And it's very dangerous. It's now been discovered. If you inhale asbestos, it, it can lead to all kinds of problems. So they said, we're out of here, Pastor John. Deal with it. What do I do? I do what I should do. I call Elias. <laughs> Elias, help! And we had to hire an asbestos abatement firm. The plumber says, I know a guy. He knew a guy. The guy was willing to come the next day. And, you know, they dress up. They look like astronauts on the moon, and they have these big fans and vents, and they go down, and they remove all the asbestos. Not half the asbestos. All the asbestos. It's time to go. Let's get it out. You know, in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, very important New Testament verses. New Testament verses. Do you know these? Paul says that you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and we are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old man. Deal with the asbestos. It only took 36 hours. It was gone. And now the plumbers come back and, and they're in process to install that, finally that gas burner. The Bible says, bring in the Levites and get to work to remove all defilement. And the word all is very, very hard for you and for me, is the word all. There are certain sins I really want changed in my life, but there are other sins that I'm slow to want to deal with. Maybe that's true for you. You know, I remember when I was a new Christian, I discovered that the sin of gossip was a, that gossip was a sin, that gossip was a serious sin, okay? And so, um, you know, you read through Romans chapter 1, and you see there's murder and adultery, but gossip is listed right in that same list. And I thought, I better stop gossiping. And I did. I stopped speaking gossip about other people. But it took me years 
to learn that obedience to the command not to gossip meant not only that I should stop speaking gossip, but what else did I need to do? I needed to stop listening to gossip. Oh, what? What? I can't even do that? It's not my fault if somebody else speaks a bad report about somebody else to me. And so for years, I was still engaged in a terrible wickedness until I learned to say, hey, you know what? It seems to me like I'm not really a part of the solution of this problem, so I don't really need to know about this. And I've had to learn. You get the point. I've gotten rid of some of the defilement in that particular category, but not all of it. As a church family, you know, we've agreed we're not just going to stop gossiping, but we're going to stop listening to gossip. He says, get rid of all defilement. How do you know what is the filth that needs to be exposed and abated? That's what asbestos removal is called. It's called abatement. How do you know what is to be put off? And he tells us in verse 15. The Levites go to town following the word of the Lord. And this is where you and I have to be diligent in our study of Scripture. We have to learn what God's Word says. What does God's Word command? What does God's Word forbid? What does God's Word tell us is is right and pleasing to Him in our character and in our behavior? What should be put off? What should be put on? It says they did it following the Word of the Lord. Moms and dads, let me ask you this question. Where do your children learn right from wrong? All those beautiful children downstairs right now, where do they learn right from wrong? Your teenagers. Where do they learn right from wrong? On television? In the locker room? From their buddies, where, do they, where are they learning right from wrong? Moms and dads. Hezekiah said, we're going to learn and we're going to follow the word of the Lord in knowing how to remove all defilement. Because the world is ready to tell them anything goes. If it feels good, do it. That's old-fashioned. We're not like that anymore. So, get rid of all defilement following the word of the Lord. There's a fascinating writer. She's now a professor at Duke University. Her name is Lauren Winner, and she was a, uh, a young intellectual, I think at Columbia University or in one of the New York universities, secular, feminist, disinterested in Christianity, and you know what happened to her? She got converted. <laughs> She became a Christian. And then, she, you know, like she started, what do I, how, how do I live like a Christian? And, and they said, well, you need to learn the Bible. So guess what she started to do? She started to go to Sunday school. I encourage everybody to go to Sunday school. Go to small group. She started getting, she got in a small group. She started learning the Bible. You know what else she said? I learned to tithe. 
She actually followed after the Lord, and she began to give 10% of her income away to the astonishment of the people around her. She says, I want to use what I have. The, the Bible says the first fruits as a blessing. And there, her secular friends are like, are you nuts? And then one day, months later, she comes to her boyfriend, and she said, I learned a new word in Sunday school. What word is that? It's the word fornication. I never heard it before. So now she's been a Christian for quite a while, she says. I learned a new word as she crawls into the bed with her boyfriend, you know. (laughs) What does it mean? I don't know. I guess we should find out. (laughs) And she learned that the Bible teaches a sexual morality for the people of God. That sex is for a husband and a wife to consummate their covenantal relationship and not to be engaged outside of the covenant of marriage. And she changed to her boyfriend's dismay. She wanted to follow Jesus. Following the word of the Lord extraordinary. But she goes on to say, and if you're half awake a third of the time around here, you know that you can't just change by making a New Year's resolution. You can't. You can't fix yourself. You know why? Because you and I are like two children in a mud puddle who can't clean themselves. We need God's Holy Spirit to flow like clean water into our hearts and to change us. And this is why it says in verse 16 that they came to the sanctuary, and there it's into the holy of holies, into the inner part. We sang earlier that God desires truth in the inner parts. What's he talking about? Oh, you look good this morning. You look great this morning. This is a good-looking group. But what's going on in the inner part? This is where they had to go. Don't just trim the hedges on the outside. What's going on? You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And so, a man sat in my office this week and he said to me, Pastor John, and he goes to another church. He didn't didn't feel safe. But he said, I want to tell you, every man struggles with pride, with lust, with selfishness, with unbelief. Every man does. And he says, I do. And he says, I can't change myself. I said, we must deal with the inner part, the inner man. Can you change? Can you fix this yourself? You know, there's a school of psychology called behaviorism. B.F. Skinner, you learned about him in Psychology 101. Uh, B.F. Skinner taught behaviorism. You condition yourself to act differently, you know? But that only goes so far. It only goes so far unless you deal with the deep 
parts of your heart. Well, you know what we call that around here? There's your sin, and then there's your sin beneath the sin, and that's in the sanctuary. That's in the inner room, and that's hard to get to. A lot of you have a lot of pain. You have a lot of hurt. You have been sinned against in terrible ways, and there is all kinds, layers and layers of trash that's been done to you. But I do have to remind you that deep down in your own heart, there is still a movement of pride, selfishness, lust, epithumia, the word for lust, desires, deep, self-gratifying desires that rise up and then make us act and so act, act out in so many ways. And we say, Lord Jesus, welcome to the inner parts. Deal with John Yenchko's sin beneath the sin. What do I do? Verse 24 tells us. And this is, this is a repetition. This is a section of repetition that is startling because this is where the sacrifices happen, the blood sacrifices And it's not like they take one little lamb and sacrifice the lamb. What does Hezekiah do? What did you feel a little uncomfortable? They took the bulls and slaughtered them. They took the rams and slaughtered them. They took the sheep and slaughtered them. They took the goats, laid their hands upon them and slaughtered them. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. R.C. Sproul tells of giving a lecture at, I think it was the University of Michigan, I might be wrong, and he starts talking about the atoning work of Jesus Christ, and a man stands up in a suit, and he says, Sproul, that's barbaric, a blood atonement. Then, he says, this, was the tw- this is the 20th century. We don't believe in blood atonement anymore. We're sophisticated modern people. What would you say to that man? And R.C. Sproul said, may I remind you what it says in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death. That the promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden for their simple transgression was the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This man would hear nothing of it. But what about you? Because these sacrifices foreshadowed the cross the place where the Lamb of God laid down His life to make atonement for the sins of His people, for you and for me. The only way I'm ever going to change is to embrace the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for me. I can do all kind of behavioristic tricks, but Michael Wick read for us at the beginning of the service 1 John 1.9. Do you know that verse? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but not just forgive. What's the next phrase? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
What would you say to somebody on the Ashley Madison list? Also, the adult friend finder has been hacked. Those names have now been posted. There are no secrets on the internet, friends. What would you say? I would say, look to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Fall on your face before Him. And don't just sit here today and say, boy, am I glad my name's not on that, so I didn't need to hear this sermon. Because the liar, the person who habitually tells lies, comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and they learn how to become a truth teller. And the gossip, the person who spreads gossip and listens to gossip, comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there they meet the one who speaks a good report to the heavenly Father concerning them. And they become those who likewise speak a word of blessing. And the drunk comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. And they receive the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk with wine. He wants to cleanse you in the inner part. And the result of it all, in verse 30, is worship. And Raven Hill says, he says it so beautifully, he says, consecration always leads to celebration. And I like that. Consecration, it's an old-fashioned word. What is that? It just means presenting myself for holiness, to be set apart from God, dealing with the, the sin in the inward parts, and as Jesus' cross sets me free, forgives me of my sin, what else can I do but celebrate and worship and give my life to Him? You know, today, the enemy might say to you, don't open the door. It's not safe. I want to tell you the safest place is to open the door. Say, Jesus, come on in. Do your work in my heart. I want to be changed. I really want to be the kind of person you want me to be. I, I offer myself to you. Thank you for the cross. Have you ever done that? Today could be the day, the first day of the first month in the first year of the rest of your life, today is the day to receive Jesus. And today is the day for you to welcome Him into your heart. Again, afresh, open the doors, let Him in. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank You for this beautiful temple of the Old Testament, and how Jesus Christ Himself is the true temple who then takes up residence in us, the temple of His Holy Spirit. I confess to You, Lord, I can't fix myself. I can't fix myself of the sin of gossip or greed or, or the diabolical pride and boasting that rises up in my soul. I cannot fix any of these things, but I will look today to the throne where the Lamb, looking as if He was slain, sits today on my behalf. We look to You, Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Some of us do struggle with sinful anger, gossip, 
racial prejudice, despising someone else made in the image of God. Some of us do struggle with sexual immorality of all perverse kinds. Some of us struggle with greed and a desperate lust for money. Some of us hate our parents, and some of us secretly despise our children. Oh, God, God, we cannot fix ourselves. We look to you. We open the door. We say, come into the inner sanctuary and do your work. And we look to Christ alone to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.